Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies. And there's a movie out now that I truly love called Motherless Brooklyn, which is written, directed, and starred my guest, Edward Norton. Great to be here, it's been too long. It's been way too long. Yeah. But I, and talk about long, as long as I've known you, which has to be going on 20 years. Yeah, I'd say so. You, We've been talking about Motherless Brooklyn. <laughs> no, really. You've been, that book came out, Jonathan Lethem's book came out, yeah. and you said, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be, but it's finally here. Peter, I told you I would, and I did. I did, but you know, I can't wait another 20 for no, the next thing true. that you're doing to do it. But how do you feel now? Really good. I, um, when something's been rattling around in your head for a long time, it is, it is nice to get it out. It's sort of like, I relate, my character has Tourette's syndrome mm-hmm. and, and obsessive compulsive disorder and what he talks about having glass in the brain and that's a little bit how this project was for me. It was like glass in my brain. It was like I, I wa- it was uncomfortable and I wanted to, I, I did want to get it out. But apart from that personal compulsion to see it through, I'm happy with the way it came out. Maybe, maybe more than I usually am actually. It's saying the things I wanted it to say. And I think, maybe you commented on this, it's, it's sort of, I don't think it would have had the resonance that it has now 10 years ago, honestly. Um, and we were talking about this before we started, just the difficulty, it's, it's what Scorsese has commented on very eloquently, I think, in, in his kind of elegy to the, the, how difficult theatrical films have gotten, how difficult it's gotten to release original theatrical films. It's, it's always been a struggle for filmmakers to make original villain, v- visions. It's always been. You see the cast we had in this film. We have Bruce Willis and Willem Dafoe and Alec Baldwin and Gugu and Beth and, and Bobby Cannavale and great, great actors. But you still, have to, you still have to sort of struggle to find the resources you need to make it. And I, wasn't, and I didn't need um, $200 million to, no, to age my really? friends, to age my friends <laughs> backward. I, I got all my, act- all my actors worked for free. <laughs> All my actors worked for nothing to help me get it made, honestly. But you still, but you still have to, still have to figure it out. Yeah. Well, there's so many things in terms of Motherless Brooklyn about what you have to do, even with a studio backing you. You have a movie that maybe they don't know what the title is. Maybe they never read Jonathan's book. Right. Maybe they're saying, "What's it about? Right. Uh, what is this?" And money has to be poured into letting them know what it is. Because it's not pre-sold. No, it's, it's not, not Avengers Endgame. Yeah, it's it not a franchise. No, to do that. Property. Those things are always... And, when, and look, in my case, um, I was there saying, look, I want to make a big, old-fashioned, period, epic about New York uh, in the vein of The Godfather or L.A. Confidential or any any of these great old-fashioned movie experiences that I think demonstrably audiences really love, right? When mm-hmm. they're good, we all love those films. Um, and, and I wanted to mash it up a little bit with other, another type of movie I love, which you also have up here, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the underdog, the, the Forrest Gump, the mm-hmm. Rain Man, um, that idea of a, pers- a, a, a hero who's very unusual, who has an unusual condition that you've never seen before, that you feel empathy for, and the empathy that you feel for him, the, the fact that you immediately you're on his side, that's part of what, that's what pulls you through, um, you know, a murky, well, it big, is. fun I mean, story. Lionel is one of the nicest guys you've ever played. 
But he has, well, he is. I think he's, um, well, it's funny. Someone said to me, you've done a lot of uh, people with uh, conditions or afflictions. I said, no, I've done a lot of people who are faking uh, faking their conditions, conditions or, yeah, right. like primal fear. Primal fear he, is he's yeah, faking, faking the score faking. with De Niro and uh, American History X. There's no faking. There's no faking, but he's, <laughs> he's no not. Faking. He's just an, he's angry. He's yeah. not mentally mm-hmm. ill. And and the truth is, this character Lionel, he's not mentally ill. He just has he has Tourette syndrome. So people they call him freak show, but he's he's smart and he's intelligent. He's he's a, he's sensitive. Well, the great thing about watching this movie is that it takes a while sometimes for you to say. My brain isn't working like Lionel's. Right. You know, he's piecing together this puzzle in his own head yes. with his own synapses. And we're trying to put a linear thing on yeah. it that isn't there. No. But I, I actually, the only thing I disagree with is I think that... Um, You're by, disagreeing? You never yes, disagree. By, by a certain point in oh, the story, yes. I think when characters... This goes back to like J.D. Salinger and mm-hmm. Holden, Holden Caulfield and Catcher in the Rye. When sometimes when a character tells you his own story, mm-hmm. right from the start, you you relate. You feel it. It's a great emotional hook. And I think um, if you set that hook early with a character, if in this case Lionel in a classic detective voiceover, he tells you, "I have something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I struggle with it. I I I have friends who understand me, like Bruce Willis, but not everybody does. And it's tough. It's tough, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're you start to go." Oh, I, I, I'm inside this guy. I understand him. You want him to do well. You don't want him to trip himself up. You're always rooting yeah. for him. I just think what you're also doing is saying, I don't quite know how he's piecing it together. He yes. doesn't tell you that. Oh, no, no. And that goes to what you've done with Jonathan Leatham's book. Yeah. It, set in the late 90s, but you send it back in time yes. to the 50s. To the 50s. I don't think anybody ever knew what Tourette's syndrome That's right. was. Well, that that what you just said is part of the reason we put it in the fifties. The 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 isolation, the the characters' isolation, not just in terms of other people being a little less sensitive, calling him freak show. Mm-hmm. But if you know that he doesn't even know what he has, you're even more sympathetic. It's it's even more isolating to not know what's wrong with you mm-hmm. in some sense. But the other thing was honestly, Jonathan and I just both really like those movies the 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 old-fashioned the atmospheric um feeling of the those noir films from that era the novel motherless brooklyn is very interior it's inside the character's head but obviously a film is a big a bigger canvas you have you've got a you got to create a landscape uh for people to look at and um well it's a great landscape it's it that whole 50s thing that's going on in new york and why Lionel is called Motherless Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, why basically he has nobody. So No one looking out a, for him. But he has Bruce Willis's character. Yeah. He's one of Minna's boys. So he has something. And that's how this movie starts. It's about who killed my mentor. Yeah. Who, who did this. And then we get what, to me, has a real Chinatown vibe. Yeah. Which is where's what's festering underneath this. It's not just who murdered no. this character. It's this, what's going on. It's yeah. what's going on. Well, yeah. Chinatown had the water in L.A. that was going on. You have. Yeah, no, it's Chinatown. Chinatown's great because it's about L.A.'s original sin. It's not just about a mystery. It's about the idea that L.A. is built on crime. And that's, and that's, that's what I like about noir films. They, they do what you said is exactly right. It says, hey, they say, hey, yes, it's a, a certain mystery and a certain emotional relationship is driving why he's investigating. 
But really what, what this is about is the more he takes us into the shadow, we realize there, there are things going on in what we call our democratic, like egalitarian New York society that are violently antagonistic to everything we say we believe in. Which you know? we see through the Alec Baldwin character, right. Robert Moses type character, a, a master builder, yeah. a person that says, I'm going to create the city to look like this, and then cuts out anybody who's an outsider, right. anybody who isn't a one percenter, right. it, which is what goes to the topicality yeah. of it even now. And was a racist. He, the, the, a total the, racist. Yeah, thing. and I, I think that idea of the way that the way that we actually baked, people talk about institutional racism, but the way discrimination was literally baked into the way New York was built into a modern city. It, they literally did do things like lower bridges to the new beaches, they, they, overpasses, they set them too low for buses to clear them because they didn't want black and Latino minority citizens coming to the new public beaches. Mm -hmm. So they literally limited access. And people think that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it happened. No, it did happen, and we see it. And yet these are things that you have in your screenplay of this book added to what was in the book. Right. When you collaborate with somebody like Jonathan Latham, who's a really terrific writer. Really great writer. Is he with you on this? Yeah, I couldn't have done... What I did on this was bold, you could call it. But, yeah. But, but... He doesn't say, what have you done? No, 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 no. I, I wouldn't do that without checking it out with him. I, I felt that... I felt there was reasons to set it in the 50s. We talked about mm-hmm. that. He liked that idea because he likes those films. And I think he, he knew his, fil- his book had a certain surreal metamodernism, if you want to call it that. It, it, it's really about the interior life of this character he wasn't so married to the plot per se. The plot didn't, wasn't like the story of my family or the story of my city. It was, it's a very Byzantine maze that's really an excuse to write the character in some sense. You know, he also loves like uh, Raymond Chandler and you know, those guys, Marlowe, the detective and Chandler went through a couple novels, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of approached it like his great character going into another the next, another story, you know? In terms of taking a movie, which you've described, we've talked about it now, and putting it on the screen, do you worry about it reaching an audience? Putting out, kind of, uh, putting out work that you do, that you, you have a deep feeling for, is always, it's always got a certain emotional risk. No matter how thick-skinned you get over the years, no matter how many, no matter how many, you know, I've been through quite a few experiences, like I'm getting a, a nice honor from the Camera Image Festival in Poland this year. It's the great cinematography festival, mm-hmm. right? And they sent me a rundown of the films they wanted to review in this thing. And it's amazing, like, at the top line of, of those kinds of assessments of films I've done that people think are really... Uh, definitive or something like that you have like Fight Club and is always in there and the 25th Hour is always in there and American History X mm-hmm. is always in there and none of those films did well I would say l- almost everybody says these are great films that's mm-hmm. one of Spike Lee's best films that's David Fincher's you know, masterpiece that's um, American History X is, con- is still being cited these days N- all those films did poorly at the box office they were underwhelming 
initial releases, mm-hmm. and they, and they and none of the well, uh, American History X, we, you know, got nominated, but the but most of them weren't. Uh, Fight Club w- never was even in the awards conversation, not even remotely. I know, and nobody believes and, that. And neither was Twenty Fifth Hour, right? right? But you you what you come to understand is that is that in this world we're living in, films have an incredible capacity to ultimately get to people and they form their own relationship with people. And yes, it would be nice if something other than DC, Marvel, comic characters somehow motivated the investment to sell movies at broad scale or, or brought people out in large numbers. But at a certain point, you've got to like separate yourself from that agenda. You've got to recognize it's... And this, I think, Martin Scorsese said really eloquently and very generously. He wasn't, he wasn't negating anyone else's pleasure in a certain kind of thing. What he was saying is that for him, the experience that he wants to have of original, unpredictable complexity, emotional complexity, complexity of character that these, these things, you have to, in your mind, recognize that these things can coexist. You know, and his point about room in the theaters is, I think, is a very good one. But they can coexist. They're, we can have mass entertainment. But, but you have to calibrate your expectations when you make this kind of work. And part of the reason I made it for such a, a modest cost is I don't want the pressure of you know, making, like Ben Affleck made Live by Night, which is a very fine film. When you make it for $120 million, you, you create the potential for catastrophe, financial catastrophe, right? Yeah. If you make the film the way I made it, you, you can have a very modest box office theatrical outcome and still do quite fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's important. I think that's well, important. Well, the light at the you, end you, of that tunnel is, too, that movies can be rediscovered that they have a shelf life. Yeah. Fight Club is the perfect example yes. of that to me. Nobody would believe how that was treated when it came out. Yeah. How critics were really tough Brutalized on it. Not me. No, you, no. you were... But the fact is... No, that you, that's you, a, were, you were... You, I've said this to you before, but it's not, it's not me puffing. But, you know, you write at Rolling Stone, and I think the reason that Ro- Rolling Stone, in my view, there's a, a vitality... To it because Rolling Stone's ethos and your ethos has always been, I think, to seek the zeitgeist, right? To look for what, what, is the, what is going on in the way people are feeling about the culture they're living in. And it's not, it wasn't just rock and roll. Like, it's always been about, like, making sure you say, what's, what's giving people a sense of identification, you know? And the reason, the reason you understood Fight Club and celebrated it is because you saw in it its capacity to, to, to let people see themselves. You, know? you knew that people, that a lot of young people feel these things and that in it is something humorous and dark, but mostly that, there's a, that, that it was observing as much as The Graduate was in its day. It's observing, it's time. The, it's observing the tension that young people feel about becoming adults. Almost ahead of its time. Also, right. Rolling Stone is, is, does put music, which is a different energy. Yeah. And, you know, you brought me this, and I'm grateful. Because yeah. Tom York, you got it, I don't know how you got him <laughs> to basically do this for your movie, because he doesn't just say, sure. No. I, I'm, 
Um, but the music that you put in Motherless Brooklyn and What's Theirs is another energy that people relate to. And this is fun. It's a, um, this was old school. It's a, a vinyl 45 of Tom, Tom and Flea, the version they mm -hmm. did of Tom's song. And then on the B side is the Wynton Marsalis's, you know, beautiful from jazz the, right, version. From that. Um, from from of the same, which are both in the film. But those are both things I love. Jazz was right for mm -hmm. the 50s time. But that's also, I love that music. And I think if there was ever a music that has a Tourettic kind of quality to Tourettic, it. I like that. It, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's bop jazz, it's, you know what I mean? It is. And I think that um, it, it also has dissonance in it. And Tom, you know, great musicians like Tom who have explored dissonance and fracture in their music, they, you know, Tom loves Charles Mingus, right? Who was a great jazz innovator in terms of looking at atonal and arrhythmic um, dissonant, you know, explorations in, in but jazz. But it's great how it feeds into your character, to yes. everything that's happening in it. It just works. It has an energy to it. Yeah, and I think, I think <clears throat> there are lots of people, by the way, Tom and I were laughing, there's lots of people, we, you know, you know there's some people who hear Tom's voice and they're Radiohead fans and they know immediately that's Tom York. But we've had quite a few people. We showed this um, in Atlanta, and this uh, this African American lady in her fifties came up to me, and she goes, "She goes, who was the woman singing that beautiful song? You know what I mean? Like, and she's like, wow, that was like a modern day Billie Holiday or something. I was like, well, her name is Tom, but um, her name is Tom, yeah. and that's what we have to but, do. Um, with but, it, yeah. but that's great to me. That's What's great. great like, about if something it all. I love, if if it if it has a tonality, and some people don't know, and they say like, wow, these things go together." It shows you that you can make personal work and there are pe people will be responsive to it, you know? I have to take a couple of questions from the outside okay. world of digital. Bring it. Bring it. Here it is. Mr. Norton. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's like you're on set. Uh, is there a director or actor that you haven't had the chance to work with but you'd most like to? Um, well... I showed, this, I showed this film to Sean Penn the other night because he's always been mm -hmm. uh, one of those artists. I'd, I would act in one of his films. I would love to direct him in a film. I would love to just act with him in a film because I think Sean has retained a very unique personal sense of his own artistry and vitality. And uh, Yeah, I'd love to work with Sean. And he, he's had to tough it out sometimes yeah. to do that. Yeah, it's it's a, it's Meryl not... Streep too. Meryl Streep. I, Meryl Streep, I would kill to work with Meryl Streep. Well, Meryl, do you hear that? Yeah. So let's do it. All right, one more. One more. Let's see what this uh, Abby says. Do you ever still find yourself <laughs> humming songs from death to smoochie? I love you, because Abby. Because I do. Abby is a person with taste. <clears throat> taste. That's, that's all I have to that's say. That's all you have to say. The answer is yes, and you have great taste. Well, you know that we always end this show in song. I did not know that. Well, you forget, okay. you know, but that's it. Do you remember a little bit of something from death to smoochie? I'll, well, I helped um, uh, write some of those songs. Uh, yeah, you did. What was... Um, Come on, it's in there, Edward. Oh, the, I did, like, there was a song, um, Your Stepdad's Not Mean, He's Just Adjusting. That was a good line. Yeah. Well, no, give, I need to have something musical. Oh, I have a I cold, need. I can't sing. You can, um, I know you can. Well, what song's in your head right now? Um... What, uh, what See, the funny thing is, what's in my head, I can't sing. What's you in can't my head, do Tom And I can't do Wynton Marcellus trumpet solos, no, you, you know? Can't. Well, maybe. But there's a, there's a um, in the theme of Motherless Brooklyn, I'll say this, you can go out on this. Mm -hmm. In the Motherless theme, 
it's this it's this really lovely like ba 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 which kind of reminded me remember the great Michael Nyman scores yeah Michael Nyman like one of the really underappreciated film composers like the end of the affair great film score do you remember that I do remember that beautiful piano film score like that there's work on this that Daniel Pemberton did that reminded me some ways of the best of Michael Nyman but but in that one, Winton's horn comes in. Winton's horn entrance on that, I'll stack that up against any piece of music composition. So uh, let's in play time. that as yeah. we go out. That's Since it. I'm Perfect. not getting any more out yeah. of Edward. But I got it's a like, little. So I'm I can't do it. Yes, I can't do a trumpet. Edward, thank you. Thanks. Thank Pleasure. you.